Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. What we saw was not a job interview. It was a legislative body that is not interested in governing, executing a personal vendetta against this woman because they don't like decisions that she made during a life-threatening global pandemic that saved lives. We did exactly what we said we would do, which was a thorough, factual, and honest vetting. Whether or not she wants to stand by those policies is her decision, but they were nonetheless the policies that Dr. Cullen advocated. It's called a baseline budget. It's not a bad thing. It ensures the government will not shut down at the end of the fiscal year, harming innocent people. The budget being voted on today is nothing more than a blatant attempt to silence the majority of Republicans, Democrats, and Independents who elected Katie Hobbs as our governor. This is not about voter convenience. This is about the integrity of our vote. You can't just continue to add lanes, you know, over and over and over. We can't have 10, 20, you know, 30 lane freeways. That's not good planning. When I look at the border, and and I've said this before, uh, we can look at the immigration side of it. We can look at the border uh, trade and commerce side of it. And then we can also look at the border security side of it. And with me to talk about the search for a new nominee to lead the state health department, Governor Hobbs' first veto, and more, our former gubernatorial candidate, Christine Jones. Good morning, Christine. Good morning. And former legislative leader, Chad Campbell. Chad, good morning to you. Good morning. So... Katie Hobbs is on the look for lookout for a new nominee for the state health uh, department. Uh, Teresa Cullen, the was going to be former, now back again, a health director in Pima County, is going back there after she withdrew her nomination. The Senate also voted her down for some reason. Also, Chad, how how bad is this for Governor Hobbs? Uh, I think this is probably only really being viewed on the insider political circles in terms of you know any type of political damage. The average person out there probably has no idea this is happening, quite frankly. Uh, But I I don't think this is uh, any type of lasting impact on the Hobbs administration. I I think it is a uh, sign of things to come, though, from the Republicans and the games are going to play. Uh, What we saw last week, in my eyes, was a witch hunt. I mean, Dr. Cullen is extremely qualified. She would have been a great director of, of, of that department. And, you know, you you saw that Republican committee, which is a brand new committee. We've never seen anything like this before. Just go after her after every little thing that she has said or done over the past several years. Uh, And they didn't talk about qualifications. They made it a political type of trial. And that's not what this should be about. So I'm hoping that they, they got that other system and they can move forward and actually talk to nominees about real issues. Well, Christine, we did see that the, the nominee for Department of Economic Security, for example, did get through and, and was confirmed. So I'm curious what you make of how the nomination hearing was handled and then how basically everything since then has been handled. Well, I think is a fundamental point, I would say. I was a little surprised that the legislature actually wanted this responsibility and probably should have taken their guidance from the federal system, which is the president gets his nominees and their job is to advise and consent. And if they're qualified, they vote yes. That didn't happen here. But to Chad's point, you know, they may have gotten it out of their system. This was one that was particularly sensitive for the Republicans, the whole mask mandate, COVID vaccine, COVID especially, yeah. uh, you know, mandates, all of those things that were such a thorn in their side that they now have said, OK, we've, we've, we've made our point there. So hopefully they will take more of the advice and consent role. 
But I'm not sure on this particular one that there's anybody that's going to be satisfactory other than, as one Democrat said, maybe Dr. Oz, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's going to be or, very or, difficult. Or Dr. Nick from The Simpsons. Or Dr. Nick, <laughs> yeah. yeah. As Hello, long everybody. as he does the voice. Yeah. 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 Well, so, I mean, uh, Christine, to that point, like, does it does Governor Hobbs now have to find somebody who basically had nothing to do with with COVID, like was not involved in public health in any way during the pandemic? Perhaps. But I think the better part of valor would be for her or her staff to meet with a committee ahead of time with the nominee and say, here are the positions that person took. Here is their view today. And here's what they're willing to say under oath that they're going to do going forward. I think that kind of prep is essential in these committees. And if they'll take that time to do that, I think maybe the Republicans can, you know, all breathe breathe a sigh of relief and say, you're not going to bring back these crazy mandates that we hated in the first place. And that could be a way to go forward. Well, Chad, the the issue of preparation seems to to be a big one here. There's been some criticism of the Hobbs administration for maybe not doing as much prep work with Dr. Cullen as they could have, maybe not preparing her for what she was about to walk into. Yeah, but again, I don't think anyone would have been uh, adequately prepared to answer the questions that were being thrown at them from from Senator Hoffman in particular. Uh, and, and let's not forget, I mean, Senator Hoffman is a very controversial figure. Uh, <laughs> he was responsible for for troll farms years ago. He's an election denier. This is not a guy who's interested in governing. He's interested in scoring points with his base. That's all he was doing that day. Uh, I don't think anyone would have been prepared or, or I should say would have been adequately um, responsive to his questions. Again, they were up for blood that day. Hoffman was out to make an example. All right. So let's move from one thing that was maybe not super surprising in terms of Dr. Cullen not getting this job to something that was entirely predictable, which is Governor Hobbs vetoing the so-called skinny budget, so-called continuation budget, whatever you want to call it. She had Christine made this pretty clear that she was not going to sign this and the Republicans sent it to her anyway. Is this do you see this as another sort of get it out of their system kind of thing or is there something else going on? It it could be the get it out of your system. But I think this is more to your point about preparation. And the reason that the former governor was able to get all eight budgets passed is because they did an enormous amount of work behind the scenes negotiating line by line with the legislature for areas that were passionate for these representatives. And if you have a person like Hoffman who doesn't really care about policy and really cares about promoting his own agenda, he's got a passion issue too, right? So part of it, I think, is the prep and part of it is the the new legislature and the new governor trying to figure out a way to work together. But it's also very perplexing to me that this budget was approved essentially and in its exact same form just six months ago by all of the Democrats in the legislature. They should have had that conversation. And maybe, Chad, you have some some color on that. But that was kind of surprising to me that nobody thought this was a good idea today when they all loved it six months ago. What What is the, the difference, I guess, between the budget that, as Christine points out, was passed in a bipartisan way versus now? And clearly part of the issue is that the governor, then Governor Ducey, now Governor Hobbs, Governor Ducey did have input on that one. Governor Hobbs has not had input on this one. Is that the main issue here? I mean, yeah, you have a new governor with a new set of priorities. Uh, And again, I I think, I mean, I know that last budget was fairly recent, but we're in in constantly changing economic times. Uh, And and I think that just adopting a budget from the previous session, uh, because it's the politically expedient thing to do, at least in the Republicans' eyes, is an abdication of their responsibility to the voters of the state. Um, and let's be very clear. This was not about good governing either by the Republicans. This was an attempt uh, to unify their caucus, which 
you know, they, they didn't pass this on the first vote in the House. Right. right. So they had to unify their caucus, A, eh, so that they kind of set that marker down. And, and, you know, everybody knew that Governor Hobbs was going to veto this. If she hadn't vetoed this, she would have lost all leverage for the rest of session. Um, so none of this is surprising. You know, I said this months ago. Um, this is like two kind of fighters in a ring trying to figure out each other's weaknesses. They're going to kind of throw some jabs back and forth. That's what you're saying. Uh, it's going to keep going like this for a couple more months. And eventually at some point, you know, I think the adults in the room from the legislature uh, or the, the adults in the room from the legislature going to get together work with the governor and get something passed. Can this this budget and the veto actually lead to those negotiations? Or like, can this in some way maybe be, okay, we did this, we knew we had to do it. Can the governor's team and legislative staffers and legislative leaders now actually get together and, you know, maybe do something before June 29th, for example? Yeah, I think that would be the, the, the good outcome of this. And it's going to take some time, though, still. But I do think there are a handful of Republicans in both caucuses, Senate and the House, um, that will ultimately work with the governor, work with the Democrats. Um, you know, again, you know, I was down there my first term. I was down there when we had a split forum. We had Janet Napolitano as governor, Republican legislature, just like we do now. Very different days. But ultimately, people did come together. You got enough people uh, and you figured it out. We did the same thing with Medicaid expansion when when Governor Brewer was there and I was the minority leader. Christine, do you think this could lead to something that actually both sides could sign on to? It could be, uh, you know, sort of the breaking of the logjam. But one thing that Chad had as an advantage when he was working on these issues is experience. And one thing that Ducey had was Kirk Adams, who had experience. And so I think this is really a, a, a critical lesson for the Hobbs administration that they have to have people with experience who know how to do these things to lead these efforts because you can only have so many losses and you can only start with 13 vetoes so many times before you actually pass something, before people start to say, do you actually know how to do this job? Because it's demonstrably true that at the moment, it doesn't look like she does. And putting aside for a fact her competence, perception is everything here, right? So you got to build some confidence back in your people, back in your voters to say, I'm in charge. I know what's going on. I have smart people working with the adults in the room, and we're going to get this done. All right. So on the perception issue, and forgive me for asking a cynical question, but I feel kind of compelled to, we've been hearing from some some Republicans, not all certainly, but some Republicans since State of the State Day about a government shutdown. And there was talk during the vote on this continuation budget of, look, if the government shuts down on June 30th, it's not on us. We passed a budget. How much of this whole exercise of the legislature passing this budget, sending it to the governor, knowing that she's going to veto it, how much of it might be trying tried to be used for perception if the government does shut down on June 30th at the end of the fiscal year. I think Chad and I will agree on this. It is 100 percent political theater. That it, I mean, she already said months ago that she was going to do this, right? So there was no surprise. Everybody knew. The only thing the Republicans had to do really was get Liz Harris on board who had some election bills State she wanted to yeah. – uh, what did I say, Senator? No, you, no, you just her name. Uh, yes, sorry. Who she is. Um, that she wanted to attach to this, which always is perplexing to me. But – it was 100% political, and it's all theater, and they need to stop it. Chad, you're nodding your head. Yeah, and I would add this, too, um, and I, I say this uh, regardless of the governor and the, and the ninth floor. Uh, the legislature tries to always set its, 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 its foot down and dig, it, dig, its, you know, dig itself in its, in its trench and, and say, we're going to stand up against the governor. We're going to get our agenda. They always lose. 
Uh, this goes back to, you know, I mean, decades. The governor almost always wins these battles. And that's because the governor is elected by the state of Arizona. And, and no offense to legislators. I'm a former legislator myself. Nobody knows who they are. They represent these small little districts with a few hundred thousand people. Uh, the governor has the bully pulpit. And ultimately, uh, I think her vision is much more aligned with the majority of Arizonans, hence why she won the election, versus Senator Jay Kaufman or any other of the very right-wing legislators down there. And ultimately, she'll bring together those moderates and they'll get something passed. Which is more powerful for a governor, the bully pulpit or the veto stamp? Both. And you use those equally. And I've said this since day one. Uh, I think Katie Hobbs will set a veto record this year. And I'm going to stand by that statement. I think she will set a record this year. Maybe. And I think she will need to set a record this year, quite frankly. Buying some, buying some new ink pads for that stamp. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> but maybe don't do it quite so gleefully, right? <laughs> because really being the governor of no is not the reputation that I think she wants to have. My guests this week are former state lawmaker Chad Campbell of Lumen Strategies and former gubernatorial and congressional candidate Christine Jones. Guys, let's talk about another. Uh, this was not vetoed, but a bill that uh, died in committee that's really important to a lot of Maricopa County cities, which is a bill that would allow Maricopa County to ask voters to extend a half-cent sales tax for transportation projects. Uh, we spoke with Mesa Mayor John Giles earlier this week, who was not a fan of the bill that, that was defeated because it basically would have said no money for light rail, um, yes money for roads and freeways and, and basically car-based travel. Christine, this was a bill that passed actually last year that Governor Ducey vetoed in what was a surprise to a lot of folks. Do you have any hope that this, that what, what's called a clean version, just allowing Maricopa County to put to the voters what it wants to put to the voters, can get through this year? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Typically, the the community of cities and towns that get together and the mayors that talk about advocating for these things are very persuasive in the legislature. And for whatever reason, this time, as a collective body, with their desire on Prop 400, they weren't able to get it done. So... That makes me less hopeful. I do know there are other versions and, you know, some of them have 20 percent for light rail and some of them have 15 and some of them have 10. And all of the cities have said, don't please don't strangle us on on public transportation. So it's tricky. But this is just another example of our legislature trying to take this rulemaking, lawmaking away from citizens and I think people should stand up and pay attention to this because it's not just going to be on transportation funding that this is happening. This is going to be ubiquitous. And we've seen it in education. We've seen it in healthcare. This is really a critical issue, right? Because Arizona, with the proposition form of, of um, ballot Ballot, ballot measures, measures I guess the, you would say, yeah, lawmaking um, by, by residents. has yeah. been very, very successful. And this is really scary that, that, that this just doesn't seem to be – Putting apart the fact that we're not going to fund our transportation anymore, this is really scary for the future of the ballot proposition. Yeah, and one of the things, Chad, that a lot of Valley mayors talk about is if you want the kind of growth that we've had here and to continue, if you want jobs to keep coming here, you need multimodal transit. You need, yes, you need more roads. You need more lanes on the freeways. But you also need more bus service. You need more dial-a-ride. You need more light rail. You need more public transit. And what it seems as though some Republicans in the in the legislature are saying is, no, you don't. Yeah. And that's just they're not living in reality. Um, I mean, there's just no major metropolitan area in, in any developed country, let alone just America, that isn't developing multimodal transportation nowadays. And, and it goes beyond just even light rail. You're talking about individual personalized micromobility type of hubs mm -hmm. now with with the e-scooters, things like that. So, you know, 
you have to have a comprehensive transportation system. And, and I think this goes back to the conversation about political theater and the budget. This bill that just went down was another example of political theater, because even if it had passed and gone in new law, we heard from Mayor Giles and other people, they wouldn't have called this election anyways. Right. So the people that supposedly are going to benefit from this didn't even want this bill. And so it, it was another example of political theater by, you know, some some GOP members down there. Uh, and ultimately, I don't know if this will ever get out of the ledge. I think you may see a citizen-led drive to put this on the ballot. It also kind of raises the question why Maricopa County anymore still has to get permission from the legislature to even call an election on something like this. Well, I think this is sort of – and by the way, I don't think this was political theater. This is people who have passion about not funding public transportation. They just don't want to spend money on it. But why does Maricopa County have to go to the legislature as opposed to going to the voters? It feels like there's just some inertia with this half-cent sales tax. It's just kind of been there, and every decade we've kind of approved it again, and it's kind of gone to fun, and it's just sort of a foregone conclusion. But warning to the legislature, if the counties have to put this on the ballot, it's going to be a lot more than half a cent, and it will probably pass. That's interesting. And, and presumably some amount of it would go to public transit against the Absolutely. wishes of some way of the legislature. More, way more than they want. All right. So some bills that actually did get out of committee this week, uh, the Senate Elections Committee dealt with uh, a bill that would basically get rid of voting centers, uh, which are in Maricopa County. A number of other counties use them. You can go – voters can go to any voting center instead of just your precinct. They all, there's also a bill that would kick everybody off the voter rolls every 10 years and make them re-register. Christine, these seem like um, if they get that far – pretty good veto fodder for, for Governor Hobbs. But what do you make of this being the direction that the, the Senate is moving for elections? It doesn't make any sense to me. And and, and I'll disclose a, a conflict here. The, the lawsuit that I had, the Jones v. Reagan lawsuit, actually helped establish some of those voting centers because we had wrong precinct voters, you know, right. and their ballots didn't count. So I'm a little bit biased on this. But the for sure, it's getting vetoed. That's, you know, that's a foregone conclusion as well. But the the fact that people believe, as it were a religious belief, deeply in their heart of hearts that there was election fraud and people improperly collected ballots and they were dropping off fraudulent pre, you know, early voting envelopes and things like that, that's where this is coming from. And for some reason, despite the lawsuits, despite the appeals court, despite all of the evidence, they cannot be disabused of this notion. So these things are going to keep coming back. And they're going to keep playing this game. And it's really a shame because I don't know about you, but I don't want to get kicked off the voter roll every 10 years. I like registering once and getting my ballot in the mail. Well, and Chad, when you talk about the voting centers, for example, I wonder if a bill like this is maybe a missed opportunity because clearly there are things that need to be fixed about voting centers. We saw that with the printers uh, in Maricopa County during the 2022 election. But just doing away with them seems like it would be a pretty unpopular move with the vast majority of in-person voters who voted at voting centers. Yeah, I, I mean, this would be wildly unpopular with the majority of Arizonans uh, and with a large segment of Republicans. Um, you know, again, this is a an effort to find a, a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. Uh, I, I mean, just this morning, uh, if you if you've been following the national news, we have seen there were text messages from Fox News personalities who claim. I mean, they said this, the election lie is all it's all just it's part a scam. of the it's all a grip. Lawsuit, yes. Yeah. So we have now proof that Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson and all those other right-wing people on Fox News 
knew that Donald Trump has been lying the entire time. This is one big grift. It's a big con. It's still continuing down there. And that's what I'm talking about with the vetoes. Katie Hobbs is going to have to veto all of these bills. There's going to be a lot of them because the Senate is led by a bunch of election deniers. So there's nothing you can do except veto these things. Uh, And until Wendy Rogers is removed from power, we have to deal with this. So this is wildly unpopular for the majority of Arizonans. And I'm telling you, and I'm going to say this again, I've said it multiple times, let the Republicans continue down this road. They will be out of power in 2024. If they keep this up, they're going to lose both chambers in 2024. And you're going to have a Democratic majority government for the first time in decades in Arizona. Is that possible? Like, could, could bills like this be enough to, to tilt the balance of power? Well, certainly we've seen it in some of the general elections that, that the Trump-endorsed candidates were not appealing to some of the more moderate Republicans, and they did cross over. So it's, it's possible – Obviously, the way the lines have been drawn now with the legislative districts, it makes it trickier because right. there aren't many that are dis, that are disproportionately um, equal, right? They mostly are a Democrat district or a Republican district. But to Chad's point, at some point, people are just going to say, I'm just tired of hearing about this. We have to move on and enough is enough. And we, we've had 50 bills vetoed by the governor. Could we please just get something done? The only way we perceive to do that is with two Democratic – legislative bodies. And that's a real shame. Do you think Not a shame to yeah. me. I like it. <laughs> of, course, of course. Chad, Chad of course, <laughs> likes that. Christine, do you think there's any chance that the, these kinds of bills, maybe not these specifically, but these kinds of bills could be ones that make it some part of the way through the process as a way to say, OK, look, we're, we're at least thinking about this, but maybe they don't get approved by both chambers. Maybe they don't actually get sent up to Governor Hobbs for her to veto them. With the Republicans in charge that are there now? Yeah. I don't see that happening. I think they'll continue to focus on this. Okay. So, guys, we have a little less than a minute to go. So let's talk about something actually fun for a minute. Uh, we saw yesterday Kevin Durant introduced <laughs> by the Suns. The Suns going to win the championship this year, Chad? They better, or this trade is a complete <laughs> bust. Uh, it's a bust. If they do not win it this year, the trade is a bust. All right, Christine, are they going to win it this year? Oh, gosh. You know, KD, when he plays, is really fun to watch, and he's a great team guy. Um, you know, if... <sighs> I won't say they're going to win the championship, but I think they at least get to the playoffs and do as well as they did two years ago. Safe to say that they are a better team with him than they were before they made this trade, at least at least this year? Chad is dubious. I, mm. I think they're absolutely it, better with him. If he plays, he's great, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully soon enough, right? <laughs> we'll see, yeah. <laughs> All right. That is Chad Campbell, also uh, Christine Jones here. Thanks to you both for coming in. Thanks. Thanks. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.